a reading from the prophet Isaiah. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me. He has sent me to bring good news to the oppressed, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and release to the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor in the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to provide for those who mourn in Zion, to give them a garland instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the mantle of praise instead of a faint spirit. They will be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord to display his glory. They shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall raise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrongdoing. I will faithfully give them their recompense, and I will make an everlasting covenant with them. Their descendants shall be known among the nations, and their offspring among the peoples. All who see them shall acknowledge that they are a people whom the Lord has blessed. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My whole being shall exult in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself with a garland, and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. For as the, as the earth brings forth its shoots, and as a garden causes what is sown in it to spring up, so the Lord God will cause righteousness and praise to spring up before all the nations. This is the word of the Lord. Hear the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to John. Glory to you, O Lord. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came to witness, to testify to the light so that all might believe through him. He himself was not the light, but he came to testify to the light. This is the testimony given by John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? He confessed and did not deny it, but he confessed, I am not the Messiah. And they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. Then they said to him, who are you? Let us have an answer for those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now, they had been sent from the Pharisees. They asked him, why are you baptizing if you are neither the Messiah, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? John answered them, I baptize with water. Among you stands one whom you do not know, the one who is coming after me. I am not worthy to untie the thong of his sandal. This took place in Bethany, across the Jordan, where John was baptizing. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. 
Please pray with me. God, would you make your light to dawn in the darkness of our own lives and hearts and minds, even as uh, your light has dawned in Christ uh, in the midst of our world. We thank you for your word and spirit and ask now that you would attend to us as we consider these things and behold the glory of your son, Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. So today we're continuing our Advent series uh, in which we are talking about what it means for us to be becoming more and more an Advent people, a people marked by hope and peace and joy and love, a people who abide in the Christ who has come and who is coming again. Uh, N.T. Wright says this, it's a quote I love, he says, we live between Advent and Advent, between the first great Advent, the coming of the Son into the world, and the second Advent, when he shall come again in power and glory to judge the living and the dead. Between Advent and Advent. And I think becoming an Advent people most basically is awakening to this reality that we live among a people and in a world that exists between Advent and Advent. Not simply between, like, you know, the, the Big Bang and full-fledged entropy, or not simply between when humanity evolved and when whatever man-made or man-made catastrophe or earthbound asteroid will eventually wipe us out, or what other, any other frame you choose, right, with which to look upon our situation and make sense of it. We don't just live between that point and that point. We actually live between the moment that God came to us as one of us, and then this future moment when he will return. We live between the dawning of God's light in the life of Jesus Christ and the full radiance that will break forth when he comes again in glory. Living between the advents, that's where we are. So two weeks ago when we began this series, we considered how becoming an advent people means watching and waiting for Christ's return, and practicing that as we watch and wait for Christmas. Well, today I want us to reflect a little bit more on how this watching and waiting is not a passive experience, but it's a very active one in which we are always preparing for the Lord who has come near. Preparing. Think about preparing and think about how you engage preparing in your own life. So usually we think about preparing as this fixed, finite, temporary moment, right, uh, where we expect at some point to arrive at the full experience of whatever it is we're preparing for. Graduation, right? We prepare as students, we expect to get there and become graduates, and then the whole preparation hasn't been in vain, right? Or you prepare for retirement because you expect actually to get there and one day enjoy the benefits of your preparation. But in Advent, when we talk about preparing the way of the Lord and becoming a people of preparing, we're talking about a, a different kind of preparing, a lifelong preparing, right? One in which we know that a crucial aspect of the life of faith is embracing the fact that we have not yet arrived. Embracing the fact that we are called to live by faith and hope, pressing forward in preparation 
for a reality we will not experience in fullness until the last great advent of Christ's return when he brings the fullness of his kingdom to bear upon the earth as it is in heaven. And so what we're called to in this moment in our own lives is to be preparing the way of the Lord in our own selves, in our relationships with other people, in our life together as the community of the church, in our, our daily work, in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods, in our city, in our world, preparing the way of the Lord. What does that look like? What does it look like for us to take up this Advent work in all these areas of our lives? I think our, our readings, our scripture passages uh, for today help us with that. They, they guide us in considering this question. Look at this Isaiah, <coughs> excuse me, this Isaiah passage, Isaiah 61. What do we see here? Isaiah casts this vision of what kind of future God intends for his world. This glorious vision of justice and peace and restoration and wholeness that God is going to bring to bear upon the earth through his anointed one, the Messiah. And if we read into the Gospels, into the Gospel of Luke especially, uh, we see that this very passage is one that Jesus takes up to his own lips as he reads in the synagogue uh, this very passage and then shockingly says to them, it is fulfilled in your hearing. And then sits down in this ultimate like mic drop moment. You know, Jesus, he preaches this text and draws it to himself. It's this vision of the world that ought to redirect our hopes and our dreams towards God's own hopes and dreams for his people and for his world. And what is it that we see in this vision? What do we see here? We see those who are at the margins, who lack power, who mourn, who've been silenced and overlooked. Those people will be delivered and given justice, not by their own uprising or, or taking for themselves that which they've been denied, but by God's own acting on their behalf, in God's timing, by God's means. This is the vision that Isaiah is casting for the people of Israel in their own moment of waiting, and it's the same vision Jesus claims as the blueprint for his own earthly mission. But of course, if we read through the gospel stories, we know how it goes, right? That when the people heard this news, when Jesus even put this vision before them and said, it is fulfilled in your hearing, this is what I've come to do, they didn't respond by jumping for joy at the good news, did they? What did they do? They dragged him out to a hill and tried to throw him off a cliff. The light came into the world, but the world did not know him. That's a significant piece of the Advent story. And sadly, we live in an era today, especially in this country, when much of the Christian church here and around the world has lost sight of this particular vision of hope as our hope. It's a moment where the hypocrisy of the church is being exposed in some really grievous ways, right? We see this, really. It's like stories break daily of the way that Christians are embracing a vision of hope that centers around their own privilege, or I should say our own privilege and prosperity and power, right? Whether it's a greedy grasping to get it or a fearful desire not to lose it. But the church has abandoned in many places and in many ways, and maybe we have too to some degree, abandoned 
this kind of vision of hope that extends to the least of these and to the whole world by way of the self-sacrificial love of God's people. And when the world hijacks our hope, what happens? It destroys the authenticity of our witness and it quenches the spirit who has anointed us in Christ to be bearers of Advent hope in an Advent world. And this is why I love the pairing of this vision with John the Baptist. John the Baptist is such a a wonderful Advent figure. He's the great preparer, isn't he, in the Advent story. He's the forerunner who proclaimed the coming of Christ and called the people of Israel to be making straight the way of the Lord, preparing the way of the Lord. John made a career out of like cutting through the the hypocrisy of religious leaders and calling everyone to a more authentic and fruitful life with God. And there are a couple things I want us to see uh, out of this John the Baptist episode, if you just look at that text, that I think are, are particularly helpful for us today as we think about what does it mean for us to be preparing the way of the Lord in our own lives and relationships. And the first is this idea of openness to God. John calls his hearers to an openness to God that they're not presently experiencing. When the religious leaders come to him and they ask him who he is, what do they ask? They don't simply say, who are you, right? It's a multiple choice test that they give him. Are you A, B, or C? Are you the Messiah? Are you Elijah? Are you the prophet? Who are you? But what's so interesting is that when they come with these fixed, settled categories in their minds, John resists answering them in those terms. Which is ironic, because the gospel writers are clearly trying to present John the Baptist as Elijah and as a prophet. I mean, the answer, the simplest answer to some of these questions is actually, well, yeah, kind of. Yes and no. I mean, I am, but I'm not. But John doesn't go there. He just doesn't play their game at all, right? What he says is no. They come to him with their fixed categories. They place limits on their question about who he is and what he's doing and what God is doing. And John knows that what his questioners have in mind is something other than what he's trying to do. And so John, what's so fascinating about him, is he doesn't let the political agenda of his day define the terms of the debate, so to speak. He doesn't allow the vocabulary of his polarized political world to pin him into a yes or no game regarding what it is that God is doing in and through him. And so he isn't into the business of playing into the culture wars of the day. He subverts the whole thing as he comes to proclaim a different kind of kingdom and a different kind of good news. And the gospel writers very clearly portray him as the anticipated Elijah who was to come. His clothing, everything about his behavior, these all pin John as this person who is the one the prophet said would come pointing the way and preparing the way for the Messiah who would come after him. He is the last of the great Old Testament prophets, so to speak. But he is that not according to the imaginations and limits of those who come settled in their questions and categories. But he is that according to what God was doing 
which was a surprising new thing in Jesus. And the reason the religious leaders miss John and Jesus is that they're settled. They're not seeking. They're fixed in their categories, and they're not open to who God is and what God would do. And John challenges them to become more open and invites them to live more authentically and humbly with God. And what I love about the way he does this is the second thing <clears throat> that I think is helpful for us in John's character to see is that it's not just this openness to God, but it's the humility of his witness. Look at the way he engages these people. Look at the way he takes up his vocation with God as this prophet. He's not the light, but he's pointing to the light. Not the Messiah, but bearing witness to the Messiah. Not grasping after his own audience or glory, but coming as one who is to prepare the way of the Lord. The one who he's not even fit <laughs> to untie his sandal, yet he's the one who baptizes him in the river. The humility of the witness. And it's this hum humble witness that I think is so captivating and that our moment today in this in this polarized moment that we live in, in this moment where the hypocrisy of the church is more obvious than it's been maybe in my whole lifetime, I think, but maybe in a long, long time. The craving, the world's craving, and the church's craving for the authentic, humble, Christ-like witness of pointing to Jesus, not trying to be the light, but point to the light, not trying to be the Messiah, but to point to the Messiah, not trying to cling to benefits, but to give them away for the glory and the goodness of our neighbors. The first thing I thought of when I was reading through these texts, uh, and we even discussed them as a staff in our office a couple weeks ago, was this, this old painting from 1515 by Grunewald. Maybe you've seen it. It's like a, a triptych that goes behind an altarpiece, but he's got a portrayal of John the Baptist at the cross of Christ. John was dead before Jesus was crucified, but he puts him, the artist puts him there, and, and the way he's painted him is John's finger is, is extra long. Like he has this abnormally long finger. It's sort of a, almost caricature-like looking, but what he's trying to say is that, that pointing is the vocation of John. And the exaggerated finger becomes the focal point of this image where what you're drawn to is the pointer as he points to the Messiah. That's the kind of humble witness that John embodies to which we're called as well. And he's such a good example of that. And I think there's a quote from Leslie Newbegin uh, that, that I love that I'll share with you here. He says this, The Advent season should come as a reminder to us that we can never be and should not be adjusted to the world. We are here to proclaim the reality and the imminence of a wholly other world, a world in which different powers rule and different standards operate. We are here to make it possible for ordinary men and women to believe this and therefore to live in hope and readiness. We're, there, we're here to make it possible for ordinary men and women to believe this and therefore to live in hope and readiness. That's what John exemplifies in his own life, in his own way, even as he's completely bewildered by what it is that God's doing. He's living by faith and hope and bearing humble witness to Christ who comes after him. As you think about this kind of 
um, this, this role of the witness. Who are those people in your life who make it more, more possible for the ordinary you to believe these extraordinary promises and claims of God? Who are the people in your life who have been the ambassadors of Christ to you? The people with the exaggerated finger who have pointed the way of the Messiah and who have made the story of Christ more plausible in your own life. I remember when I was a college student um, and I was studying uh, biochemistry, um, the Human Genome Project had not been completed yet, but it was in process, and uh, the scientist Francis Collins was leading the project, and it was so fascinating to me that someone of such robust Christian faith uh, would also be this person who's leading this, this, this really forefront project. I mean, it's, it's the almost one of the most groundbreaking projects in the scientific world. I mean, he's one of the most celebrated scientists uh, of our day, and yet here he is, this person who believes the story of Christ. And you just think of all the conflicts, the intellectual conflicts, uh, the, the, the faith and science questions, and all these things that can, that can easily cloud our thinking or can become interesting conversations or can become obstacles to the faith or opportunities for conversation, whatever. The embodiment of the faith by someone like that makes it more possible for the ordinary me to believe the extraordinary story of Christ. If he believes this, I can believe this too. Or you think of someone who's suffered greatly, right? Who are the people in your life who've suffered profoundly yet embody a deep and abiding hope in Christ? Or you think, wow, if their faith has not been snuffed out by their own tragedies, perhaps my faith can endure what I'm going through as well. These are the John the Baptists in our life, aren't they? They're the ambassadors to the faith. They're the ambassadors to Christ who prepare the way for us to become followers. Who are those people in your life? Get near them. And what would it take for you to become one of those persons in the lives of others? Well, if you flip over to page two and you look at this First Thessalonians text, it was our Advent reading. I think Paul gives us some very helpful instructions here about what it might take for us to become these kinds of people who prepare the way of the Lord in our own lives and the lives of others. What does he say? Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Don't quench the spirit. Don't despise the words of the prophets, but test everything. Hold fast to what is good and run away from what's evil. Those are the instructions. But he doesn't just give us instructions, does he? He gives us a promise. The God of peace himself sanctify you entirely. And may your spirit and soul and body be kept sound and blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful and he will do this. The Apostle Paul gives us a promise to rest in. And he gives us instructions to take up and a way of wisdom to walk in so that as we begin to think as an Advent people, preparing ourselves to become those who prepare the way of the Lord in our own hearts, in our relationships, in our life together as a community of the church, what are we going to be all about? As we think about how we inhabit our work 
what we do with our hands all day, how we live with our coworkers, as we think about how we live with our neighbors and what we do in our city and in the world and ask the questions, how do we become those who are preparing the way for the Lord now? How do we become people who make it more and more possible for ordinary men and women to believe the extraordinary story of Christ, the extraordinary vision of hope and peace that God has cast for his world? What do we do? How do we prepare the way? Rest in God's promise and walk in these instructions. Walk in the way of God's wisdom. Rejoice, give thanks, pray. This is how we ask God to make his home among us. This is how we put ourselves in the way of being transformed in his image and and ask God to unleash his love in us that through us he may unleash it in the world. God in Christ has anointed us with his spirit to be ambassadors for Jesus in his world. Ambassadors for Jesus in our relationships. Ambassadors for Jesus even in our own selves. Will you rest in God's promise? Will you take up the work of preparing the way? Will you sow the seeds of God's kingdom? Will you till the soil? Will you blaze the trail? Will you set the stage? Whatever image it is that helps you to imagine the work God's called you to do of preparing the way for what it is he would do next? Will you enter that Advent vocation as you inhabit this Advent world as an Advent people? May God give us grace that it would be so. Let's pray. Our God, we thank you for the love that you have shown us in Christ in whom you have come near. We thank you for John the Baptist who prepared the way for our Lord who pointed at him and declared him to be the Messiah as you declared him to be the Messiah, the one in whom you were well pleased, your beloved son. God, would you give us grace that we may inhabit this world more and more as people who look to the coming of Christ to know who you are and who look for the coming of Christ as we await the glorious future you've promised. And would you give us the grace and the hope and the strength that we need to live between Advent and Advent as your people who are watching and waiting and preparing in hope. Bless us this Advent, we ask, through Christ our Lord. Amen. The offering is a time when we reflect on what God is teaching us and we offer our gifts, ourselves,